Well, and let's put this in honest words right here. If you don't value your time, yeah. why would somebody else think, oh, this must be valuable? December 25th, 2018, it was our first Christmas in our new million dollar home. I checked all the boxes that promised me real freedom. I had a booming business, reaping fans, money, assets, and yeah, I was still sitting there on the couch pretending that I was watching that Christmas movie with my family while I was choking down the poison of anxiety. I still felt like that desperate kid who would take her clothes off for money, the kid who nearly overdosed to try to prove her worth to her friends, the kid that got pregnant at 19. I felt stuck, like I was stuck in the sands of time. I did all the right things, all the things that promised me freedom and it didn't add up. I realized a few things. I was still checking someone else's box. This was gonna be an inside job and I would do whatever it took to never feel that way again. Consider this podcast the rebranded, revamped, cool-ass version of Alternative School. Alternative School for the Unruly, entrepreneur. This is for the innovators, the creators, the world changers, the service-minded, and those who want the details on how to create a business that really, truly, finally fucking sets you free. I'm your host, Andrea Crowder, and welcome to the Unruly Entrepreneur Podcast. Let's go to the show. Let's get started with introducing you. Hi, guys. This is I, my dad. I'm, yeah, I'm your father. <laughs> Been around for a while. Wait, Andrea, what was that? I am your father. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, we're definitely going to have to post some videos so you guys can picture my dad. But if you're just on the podcast right now and you have no video, my dad is a true mountain man. He has a full long Santa Claus beard. He is currently wearing suspenders, which is true every day of the week that I am aware of. Correct? Yep. yep. Yeah. Always wearing suspenders. Do you still always have a pocket knife in your pocket? I have a have Leatherman a Gerber in your pocket right now. Yeah. I have a Leatherman on my hip. I have a gentleman's pocket knife in my watch pocket. I have a mm-hmm. uh, belt knife that I made on my belt and I have in my other pocket with my spare magazine, I have another, what do you call it? One of the little uh, uh, Swiss army knife. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you have in your pockets? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, well, my keys, my spare magazine and my knife. Then my other pocket, I carry my gun and my wallet. Okay. So my dad's a true mountain man, also retired special forces. And so, you know, the thing that we wanted to talk about today is like, we, we have a lot of fun conversations around leadership, but also healing, um, healing from your military career has been a, a big thing on your to-do list for a long time, but especially as of late, you've been really, really diligent. So I want to get into both of those, but I was telling my dad about this new program that I have called daddy energy. Maybe if you guys have been on the podcast, you've heard about it already. 
and we were talking about leading people and you started telling this story, which I've already primed you to tell. Let's, let's, let's start with, let's start with you just introducing a little bit about yourself. Like, what do you feel relevant that you would want people to know about you? You're a Leo. <laughs> I guess well, I never would have even thought of that, but okay. Yeah, I'm a Leo. Um, I'm a man of faith. Um, I have, I served in the army for 28 years, 11 months and five days. 20 of those were in special forces. Some of you know us as the Green Berets. Um, no, Navy SEALs aren't special forces. They are special operations forces, but they're not special forces. Our, our unit name is special forces. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, Whatever yeah, you're playing medic- with, I can hear like all your little. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's my, my, my beard comb. He's fidgeting that. with his beard comb, guys. <laughs> I'm not used to doing this. You know, I usually sit around the uh, campfire or the the couch even and talk. But anyway, let's, uh, let's yeah, set I was the a, tone then. We're around a campfire. Okay. Yep. We're okay. around a campfire. Yeah. I was a special forces medic for 20 years. And then of that 20 years, the last four years, I served as a, I got promoted to master sergeant and became a operations NCO for my unit. So we sent SF teams um, outside the continental United States to uh, Malaysia and Korea and Thailand and a lot of different places, a lot of different training. So my background is real heavy with the military, uh, but I did a lot of fun stuff as well. I did. Uh, I really enjoyed learning the ropes facilitation training. That was a big, a big key to me, uh, learning how to talk to people and coordinate people to accomplish um, big things, uh, even though you're a small group. So I really How would you describe that. that? What's ropes? Ropes is learning by doing both learning about yourself, learning about the group, and then, um, learning that together you can really accomplish some things that you look at initially and go, oh, there's no way we can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like taking a big tire and putting it over a 22 foot, you know, post, you know, that's stuck in the ground. You would say, well, we can't do that. You know, this tire is heavy, mm-hmm. but you find out that together you can. So big, big mm-hmm. things. And, and even some, I had this one guy, he was some 350 or 400 pounds and they lifted this guy up and they put him through this little space. It had to have been maybe 20 inches by 24 inches. And they got this big man <laughs> and it was like six feet off the ground. <laughs> they got this man through this spider's web uh, with only four people on the other side to catch him. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> you know, they, you learn, uh, even as somebody like him, who, who seems like he's going to be a problem for the group, you realize uh, that you're still an asset. And yeah, I learned a lot of big things through ropes. So uh, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a big part of, of, who I am today. Yeah. Well, me too, actually, because you made me be a part of it when I was a kid, which yeah. I despised mostly then. And now I'm like, uh, okay, fine. I'll give you, I'll give you a point for that one. That was, that was a solid life experience that became very yeah. useful, but my dad taught me yeah. all kinds of fun things, like how to dig ditches, pull yeah. weeds, burn compost. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
Change the oil. Change the oil. Yep. Many things I hated. I didn't so much mind that, but like that did become very useful pretty quickly because I wanted my freedom. Right. Yes. So ropes was a big thing as well. What about um, when you did, you were working with the, those kids, like the kind of at-risk youth, was that ropes also? Well, we used ropes, but yeah, it was a, it's the, the program was called Boots, which was bringing outdoor and occupational technologies to students. And so we would have either a group of 10 or 12 girls or a group of 10 or 12 boys, and we would work them, with them throughout the school year um, on a variety of different things. But and some of the things we did were ropes activities to facilitate building that group so that they were more efficient in the other activities that they were doing together. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, we went on a long backpacking trip and some of them had never been off the reservation, much less, you know, with a backpack going up and down mountains and stuff. And there was some serious terrain problems. And these kids, and we stood there and watched them. And we were like, holy crap, this is, this could get, you know, pretty risky, pretty quick. And man, they navigated that stuff like nothing. It was easy for them. So <laughs> I was very proud of them for, for the work that they had done and, and then their ability to then apply it. They weren't even thinking they were doing a ropes event uh, out in the mountains. They thought that this was just a problem to overcome, but it was another ropes event. And so that happens, you know, you get prevented, mm-hmm. presented with problems and then uh, you figure out how to accomplish them either by yourself or together. Mm-hmm. Okay. So together has been a big topic of conversation for me is like, how can I continue mm-hmm. to bring, how can I continue to like place the right people in the right places um, mm-hmm. to, to get the impossible done? We, yeah, I, get them, I get haven't them on even, the right bus in the right seat, doing the right thing at the right time. <laughs> I haven't even told you this. I'm so excited no. that we're actually recording. Guess what? Okay. Guess what? What? I put all the right people in the right place on the right bus. And we had our first seven figure year last year. We did one. No way. We did $1.2 million in sales. And at the beginning of last year, that seemed impossible. We tripled, grew 300% in 2022. Wow. You know, that's just, isn't that just make your heart pound? You know, you got, you got these other people who think, okay, Andrea's got something here. I'm going to, I'm going to participate and give what I got. And they become a part of the group. You facilitate their membership within the group. You give them good guidelines and solid goals Mm -hmm. and then let them do it. Right. I mean, you went in for surgery and then came back out like, I can't help anything right now, you know, and your team kept going. So, yeah, damn. (laughs) I know. I I do. It is good shit. (laughs) I, I look at it and honestly, sometimes I'm like, I'm just mesmerized. Sometimes I'm like, do I even know how we did that? And like, it does take a little bit of time to go back and put into place like the steps of what we did to get there. But sometimes I do look back and I'm like, I don't know. It does feel like there's a little bit of like magic fairy dust being sprinkled over as well. Well, and and I'm a man of faith. So I would say, you know, that, um, that I think that when people apply themselves towards the good of man, then they uh, set themselves up for success to receive 
the good of man and in my case the good of the lord the good of god and um you know he, he doesn't mind allowing you to have serious struggles i mean whether it's internal or external yeah. but it's what you do with those over time and um, i know some of the things that you've done over time and this isn't something that you did starting you know two weeks ago no. or even two years ago so, uh, you know, this is something that you've been building and working towards and the blessing of bringing others along with you, this group that you've built and then giving this away to others. I know you're not giving it without the, um, the benefit of finances, but get this right. I used to give ropes facilitation, train the trainer classes away. I had a hard time getting, you know, five, six people to sign up. But, you know, as soon as you put a $200 price tag on it, I don't know what it is. People are like, oh, my God, this must be valuable. Yep. <laughs> and then they're willing to give their money to. So there's something associated with having to pay either with your time or your money or your resources or whatever. So I didn't know yeah. that you used to charge for that. You had like your, your own little side hustle. I did have a I, I have done a, quite a few uh, elements where of uh, the so for here's a good one right I'm a knife maker and I went to a knife making show and with another knife making friend of mine and he was my mentor and the very first day of the show he had all of his knives priced really valuable I mean really great prices and nobody bought anything on Sunday so this is started on Friday on Sunday he doubled the prices of all of his knives and sold every one of them yep that's where I learned when you want people to value what you're doing, my knives included, or in this case, the ropes facilitation training, when you apply a dollar sign to it, somehow, some reason, people go, my God, this must be worth it. And their yeah. buy-in is not just in their pocketbook now, it's in their psyche and their mental things that are valuable to them, like their money. And so you know, I've had so many people mm -hmm. tell me, oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't take this class before. This is the best class I've ever had. I can't believe I've never if su such and such hadn't told me, even though I knew it was free, I just wouldn't have come. But I can't yeah. believe not having this now that I've been here. And so right. I just learned that people just until they have to put something up, they don't see the value. And then they get it and they go, oh, my God, where was this before? So how do I live without it? Yeah, no, I yeah. my little brother, Johnny, who's um, not my dad's son, but from my mom's side, he has been running an e-com store for a long time and has done really, really well with it. He's, he's made over cool. seven figures in total. Um, wow. and he is looking at what I'm doing with online courses and he's like, should I get into the online course game? And I said, absolutely. You have a tremendous amount of skill set around like how to build an e-com story. Let's, let's right. create a program for you and help other mm -hmm. people start businesses. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I'll just put it together and I'll sell it for a dollar and it'll sell for hot cake, sell like hot cakes. And I was like, nobody's going to buy it. If you price it at all, no. at a dollar, no, <laughs> nope. they're going to, they're going to think it's trash because people value their time more than their money. Well, and let's put this in honest words right here. If you don't value your time, yeah, why would somebody else think, oh, this must be valuable? Yeah. And that's how I had to start looking at my knife making was, you know, people would often look at my work and go, oh, my God, this is gorgeous. Or this looks really great. I can't wait to, you know, and when I had low prices on it, people go, oh, this must not be very good. 
-hmm. you know, so you have to start valuing yourself and what you're doing. Yeah. I, I like to tell people to stop trying to actually put a price on yourself. What people do is say, how much value do I have instead of placing value on the cost of the transformation you're selling? So whether it's a knife, like you make very Mm -hmm. custom, beautiful knives, not all of them are not all of them people would use in their kitchen every day. Some of them people right. would put in places decor in their home or something like that. My dad was on the cover of a knife making magazine one time, guys. Like yeah, you wonder yeah. where I get my creation skills are. They are <laughs> definitely him. Um, but for people, you know, like the value of the joy that it could bring someone in their everyday life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes even yeah. the value of for for a lot of people, it's like, well, my friends are going to come over and they're going to appreciate it. And they're going to say how cool that is. So let me have the cool knife on the wall. Right. Right. Like there's a little bit of like social clout really that people are paying for as Mm -hmm. well as something that they would find pleasure in. So it's the value of the transformation that you're selling. And it has nothing to do with your personal value as a human being, which you could never put a price tag on. And I mentor a lot of knife makers online. Um, this one guy, he's, I don't know, five or 10 years younger than I am. So he's not a young pup and his workmanship is very good. And he has this super great price. I'm like, dude, you're, you're killing yourself. You need to double this price, this blade, instead of $175, it needs to be $250, mm-hmm. you know, or $300. You're, you're killing yourself. Nobody's going to value this at this price. It's a great price, but mm-hmm. you've got a better product than the price you have on it. And he took yeah. that really hard for a while, but um, he did it. And now he's like, holy smokes, you know, people are really appreciating and they're passing this information on to other people. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. just cycling, you know, or spiraling. Yeah. Sometimes there's also like the unconscious social clout that we get from paying the higher price tag. True. Oftentimes I've seen that and I've looked at my work and I'm like, you know, some guy is going to put this on his hip and never pull it out except to show his buddy. (laughs) Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) No, girls do the same thing with their purses and their shoes. So yeah, like (laughs) their own. I was just thinking about purses and shoes, knives and guns. I'm like, dude, they got their stuff. We got our stuff. (laughs) We ever, everybody has their own thing that they find value in, but yeah, Yeah. like there is something unconsciously where we, it creates community and connection, Mm -hmm. you know? So like, it does Mm -hmm. have that value and it's worth the price when we have something that we, that draws people in together. So especially if it's something that catches their attention. So like, you've got this name, for this new business and it catches your attention. People hear that and they go, what? It's like a sparkle Mm -hmm. to the name. And that's what I really appreciated about your other business unruly. I'm like, what, you know, and you look at it and you look at how it's spelled and framed and and everything Mm -hmm. like that's fucking cool, (laughs) you know? So, and, and same with my knife, they see my knife in a different holster with uh, beautiful pins on the side and gorgeous coco bolo and people go what is that i've never seen a holster like that before or something you know and be like let me see that and then it, it sparkles and people go wow i love how we absolutely have already talked about holsters a couple of times <laughs> <laughs> i love them you know i i like i like leather work i what i did this last year 
was absolutely incredible. Uh, I've spent 35, 39, I'm sorry, 40, 43 years making knives. And of that, probably 42 years adding my own holsters. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and this last year, I upped my holster game by more than double. I can't wait to show you some pictures of the new holsters I made. They are, <laughs> they are really beautiful. I mean, incredibly gorgeous. No longer the serviceman's holster. It, these things are gorgeous. So I can't wait to can't wait to show you some pictures. But yeah, it's we'll and I feel better about my work, you know. So we'll have to Lorelai, let's make sure to link some pictures of the holsters for everyone so they can see. Like yeah, they <laughs> some are. people gorgeous. are gonna be like, I really wanna well now I know. I don't even know what a holster is. Show me a picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so I use the word holster for knives, but it applies with guns also. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. so we kind of went a little off track which was perfect. Um, but you were talking about your military career and, um, sharing a little bit more, like, is there anything else that you wanted to share about yourself? No, the, yeah, the, the biggest change in my life came when I was about 35 years old and, uh, Christ met me where I was. And the change that that happened for me was the value I had in my family that I never had before. Mm -hmm. So I, I loved being a dad before I loved you know, being a man, but it was what I knew from my father. And there wasn't much to that. He went to work, he came home, that was it. I went to work, I came home, you know, I did some things with my family, but it, I didn't have the internal value mm -hmm. that I had after my relationship with Christ changed. And that was so big for me because I went home and my heart was huge towards my children after that huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that made all the difference in the amount of time. Like when you and I were sitting down at the sewing machine, making a skirt, <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know shit yep. about how to design a skirt, but I had a great time. It was fun. My so, dad taught me how to sew. Yep. Yeah. Photography. I just loved it after, after, because my heart changed. That was what the difference was. Yeah. It wasn't anything mental or, you know, no value added, no number sign, no, any of my heart changed. Mm -hmm. And so that was the biggest thing after that. And so my viewpoint towards people changed and from being, I don't know, I was, I had kind of an attitude, you know, there's always a top down idea in the military. So, you know, when you're at the top, everybody's below you, you know what I mean? There's a top down thing. And, um, mm -hmm that went away for me after that. I, I saw the, the people and that I worked with differently after that. It was really great. It worked really, mm. it was very important for me. I love that. Okay. So how, how did that change your, just your experience of work in general? Yeah. I, you know, I, I would go to work before that, you know, and I used lots of army language, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's not that my army language changed. It's how I spoke and who I spoke to. Mm -hmm. And so I had huge uh, amounts of respect already, but my value for my teammates, my value for the people uh, that were going out to Malaysia and going to, uh, a Malaysian tracking school or teaching foreign internal defense or, you know, just a lot of different uh, in special forces, we do a lot of different things. And, 
you know, so when, when it came to supporting them with what they needed, you know, I didn't just give them what they needed. I got, I got them everything. everything. I got them what, and when their wives called me, I didn't say, oh, I don't know what to do to help you. Sorry. And hang up. No, I helped their wives until they got what they needed. And they all knew this lady, I helped her get a, a hot water heater replaced in her house. You know, her <laughs> husband was away on uh, uh, Oconus doing a mission and he wasn't there to help her. She had water all over the basement. She didn't know what to do. She called me and I helped her get it fixed, you know? So mm -hmm. um, my, my attitude changed towards people after that. Would you say in the military, you're kind of afforded a little bit of authority uh, depending oh, yeah. on your rank, right? Right. Mm -hmm. There's rules and regulations about how you have to engage with superiors and all of that stuff. So many rules mm -hmm. and reg regulations. <laughs> so some of it's built Not in. Not SF there, is it? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I'd like to tell you the story about the Colonel that I told him to take it back or else I was going to go do what he told me I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was fun. <laughs> well, but you look at, okay. So our audience, so we have people who, who want to have authority over people because they want to help them change in a useful way, but they don't have rank to, mm. to pull, mm. you know? So we're talking respect now. We're talking respect now. Yeah. So yeah. what would you say was the difference for you? Maybe through that, as you started to value people more, did the respect and how people followed you change or did that say the same? Uh, say what you just said again. Well, you said when you started to view people differently through your mm -hmm. relationship um, yep. with, with Christ and mm -hmm. when you started to view people and treat people differently, mm -hmm. do you feel like the missions even became better? Oh, heavens. Yeah. <laughs> well, First of all, uh, so, and yes, I, I think I, I think I get where you're coming from, or if I don't, I know what it means to me. And so that's what I'm going to give okay. you. Great. Um, certainly when you walk into a room with a green beret and uh, master sergeant stripes on, you know, it doesn't matter what your rank is. There's a very high level of respect, whether they know your name or your reputation or not. Mm -hmm. As soon as you open your mouth, all bets are off right? Mm -hmm. Anything can happen after that. Um, same thing is true in reverse. So you don't have any respect. You don't have any authority. You don't have anything else. As soon as you open your mouth, all bets are off. Ooh. Because as soon as you start talking to people and interacting with them, not in a top-down manner, but rather in a bottom-up where um, so for example, okay, this guy comes into my office, you know, another SF guy and a, a commander, right? He's an officer in theory. He's, he outranks me, which is never true at SF, but anyway, and he says, oh, Sergeant Conti, your, your judo is very good, but mine is even better. And I smiled and I didn't say anything <laughs> and he knew, oops, <laughs> we sat down, we had a conversation he said, Sergeant Connie, thank you very much. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I don't have to prove myself to anybody. Mm. I have to look at that person, see what it is that they need. I know my job and I know what they're going to go do. I have respect and value for what they're going to do. So I give them what they need. And when they see, especially over time, 
that I'm serving them. That's really what it comes down to for me is servant-based leadership. And that's, mm. I, I don't mean that, you know, and that can come across so bad where you don't even respect yourself, but that's not what I mean. I mean, your respect and you, for yourself is so good, is so high that you no longer have to prove it. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So, so you're able to speak to people with that confidence and peace and the authority comes through when you're giving them what they need. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a big fan of giving people what they want, you know, um, if I know what they need and I give them what they need, I want to give them even the things they don't need, not necessarily things they want, mm-hmm. but the things that will make them more successful. Like and that. so like you taking an over an hour on your, uh, your training today, that's going past. That's giving them what they need and more so that mm-hmm. uh, you're investing in those people. And that's the way I see leadership. It's no longer, my name is Master Sergeant Conti, Special Forces, two-time combat veteran, jumped out of airplanes in the middle of the night in foreign countries with 200 pounds of lightweight shit, respect me. No, Mm-mm. no. You look at me, you see me, you go, I don't know what this guy's about. I even had a guy co- contact me once on Facebook and said, man, I was listening to the things you were writing. And then I looked at your Facebook, uh, you know, your, your page or whatever. It's like, I don't know what to make of you. (laughs) (laughs) I feel that way. Also, I just, sometimes I don't know what to make of you. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So no, I, I no longer believe in, um, I used to feel that way about being a husband. You know, I'm the man, I'm the this, I'm the that, and all of that stuff. Holy smokes, did that blow up in my face. Yeah. So, no, that shit's a lie. It's something that culture teaches you. My father taught me. It it comes from the world, and it's full of shit. It's not true. It's not even useful. It makes you feel good for a minute, but it does nothing in the family or the workplace or whatever. When you said, when you respect yourself enough, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. That's how right. did you, how did you create that for yourself? Well, okay. So that, <laughs> that takes a lot of time. So yeah. like I just said, when you, in my case, jump out of enough airplanes in the middle of the night in foreign countries, carrying heavy loads and accomplishing, and this is what I'm trying to get to accomplishing significant things. I don't care if it's climbing a mountain or shooting a, 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 a small target at a long distance or making a certain amount of money or um, saving a life or whatever it is, these significant things, those are what give you confidence. It's not, it's not the clothes you wear or the title that you bear. Mm -hmm. It's the things that you've accomplished. If you don't believe in doing big things, you're just setting yourself up for failure to begin with Mm -hmm. because you don't, you're either lazy or you don't have the confidence and, I'm all about crawl, walk, run. Nobody starts out jumping out of airplanes in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to go through training and you got to develop and, you know, earn some maturity through some hard knocks, but yeah. you still got to go do big things. You still have to go do big things. Yeah. You still have to go do big things. You heard yes. it here from dad. 
He That's said. Right. <laughs> you still, and even when you get older, so I had to go through a hip replacement. I had to go through mm. some serious mental gymnastics this last year. Um, I went down to the dog pound about four or five days ago and picked myself up a dog. I'm not sure who rescued who, but yeah, his name is Hank. <laughs> is that who I hear in the background? No, that's uh, Liberty. That's Jacob's oh. dog. Uh, Hank and I are peas in a pod. Wait, oh I haven't gotten a picture of Hank. Oh, I will send you one right away. If you weren't already on my phone, I would send you a picture immediately. <laughs> Dad, oh my God. I didn't even yeah. tell you about 1.2 million. You didn't tell me about Hank. Yeah, we have yeah. some catching up. I mean, like it's only been what, We've four been days? Yeah. Yeah. Four days, yeah. It's been like four days. But he's he's talking. already learned five commands. He waits Aww. at trail with the, where the trail divides. He waits for me and looks what direction I'm going to go. He's only known me for five days, you know. Wait, how old but, is he? Three months. Oh, he's still a puppy. Okay. And oh, what yeah. Uh, he is, I think, part golden retriever and part German shepherd. He's very smart. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to yeah. see a picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He is <laughs> oh, a God. great dog. He really is. So very I, excited. I am not normal with dogs. Like, I literally can't control myself. Like, I've seen, I've seen like cute dogs and like mediocre pet owners. And I'm like, I would date him for the dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. You know, I, uh, it looks like I might be heading towards being a single full time in the next year or so. So um, you know what? I got a great dog and that's now you have the dog. The yeah, dog will call in the magnet. ladies. Yeah, chick yeah, magnet. Yeah. Exactly. You're you're solid. Yeah. Well, there yeah, you go, guys. There's your dating advice from dad. That yeah, would be its own right. podcast. No, I'm so distracted. I got to get my own podcast. What? A, a podcast called Dating with Dad Once You Start Dating. <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, I got lots of good lessons, boys and girls. Hell yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, can we talk a little bit about um, the RRT session that you recently did with Dr. Connolly? Sure. Because I know that that is a big struggle for so many people. Right. And I remember you messaging me back and you were saying, I didn't actually realize what you did until right now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I explained to you, like what would happen, what was happening, but why don't you, I, I messaged you, you would come out of treatment this summer and I was just checking in on you and mm -hmm. making sure that you were doing okay. And then you mentioned that, you know, you were, um, not drinking, but struggling with wanting to, do you want right. to pick up from there? Yeah, I, I um, my psychologist recommended that I go to uh, residential inpatient recovery treatment, and it's uh, at the VA at Helena, Montana. It was eight weeks long or seven or eight weeks long. I did not know it was that long. I thought, oh, this will be a week. You know, uh -uh. <laughs> you were a resident for a while, uh, you know, and I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm an honest guy and this will be easy for me. Holy smokes. That thing smoked me uh, because I walked in thinking, okay, number one, I don't want to continue this way my whole life. Uh, yeah. I have been, I have been seriously beat down by this thing. I want to let go. Yeah. And so I wrote like a manifesto and it mm -hmm. goes something like, I want my life to be so valuable and my steps so meaningful and significant that my suffering becomes irrelevant. Mm 
Mm. Mm-hmm. And I've, I lived that for those eight weeks. And when I found the weak spot, remember I told you about my, my meeting with Christ when I was 35? Well, I believed that because of a particular incident during combat that I was, I was a evil man. Not that I had evil in me or that I could be evil, but that I was evil. Mm. And I don't really want to explain the experience to you. I mean, I can if you want me to, but it's it, when, you, when you look at yourself because of the experience, the way I was looking at myself over a period of 20 years, you become mm-hmm. a turd. I mean, seriously, you, you're, you're unworthy to be friends, family, anything. And so there are a lot of other things come up with it. Well, I found the truth both through my faith and through RRTP. And uh, when I came out of that, I had such a huge boost of hope and joy again that I hadn't had since I was 35. Mm. I mean, I'm 61, so that's a long time. And um, so I mentioned to you about, you know, I know that alcohol does not do anything good for me. The only thing that happens with alcohol is I start to get depressed again. I start to have these feelings and thoughts again. I don't want this in my life. And you said, well, you know, if you thought about um, talking to Dr. Connolly and, you know, I'd be willing to help you set up a meeting with them. I said, look, I'm willing to do anything. It was the same attitude that I went into RRTP with. I'm willing to do anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's key right there. And so when um, I met with John and, um, and he talked to me for a while, just kind of in general about alcohol and about people and about the psyche. And remember, I talked to you about doing ropes and stuff. Well, that's really a big psyche learning thing also. It's just a different avenue of approach. And, um, and a lot of the things I was resonating with what he was saying to me. And uh, so then he started to ask me the hard questions and I gave him honest answers. And um, then he started to ask me a question like, okay, so if somebody were to have a new puppy and walk around kicking them, how would you feel about that? right? There's a, there's a genuine feeling that rises up when you think about somebody kicking a puppy. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. That's enough to piss a guy off. And uh, so I told him, you know, he's like, okay, okay. So he, he went down that road a couple more steps. And then he asked me something I'd never heard before. Which ear are you hearing that in? My answer that I'm speaking, which ear are you hearing that in? I said, oh, I guess my left ear. He said, oh, okay. So we went down and there was more of this left ear. And when he got near the end, he asked me, which ear are you hearing this in? With these other questions. And they were far more dramatic than kicking the puppy. I mean, they were really, really intense. Intense, yes. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I no longer heard it in a left or a right ear. I heard it in the center of my spirit, my soul, my mind, my body. And he said, you're not hearing it in. He was a little confused at first. Evidently, I had jumped a step. 
Uh, he wasn't expecting me to find it so close to center so early in his conversation. Uh, or he thought he was going to have to lead me that direction. But I, I didn't hear it in the left or right ear. It had become center, front and center for me. And that's when uh, the, the idea of associating alcohol with these other things, and then they became center, those other things, when I thought about alcohol. And it was disgusting. I mean, seriously, we're, we're, the, the things he was asking me is really, really awful. Yep. They're the worst things. They're the worst things you think of in a cultural society where you expect there to be goodness. Mm-hmm. And there's not, at least in a lot of places, some places. And, um, and so to this day, I mean, no exaggeration. I, I don't believe um, rapid resolution therapy is a silver bullet. I don't think anything is a silver bullet, one size fits all, whatever. There, there's a lot of different processes like uh, the VA thing was for me. I needed some rationalization on top of association. And, sure. But he gave me the association I needed when I needed it. And man, that was really powerful. And then he asked me to do, he asked me to do a couple of things that I didn't think I would keep up with. I just thought, well, this is one of those things he wants me to do. I'll just do it. But what he wanted me to do was associate um, a color. And I thought, John, the only color I can think of is the color of lightning. I'm not even sure that is a color, but it's all I could think of. And lightning is a really big deal to me. There's a lot of energy there. It's electricity. It's huge. I just, I love it. And um, he said, yeah, that's good. So you can see that, right? Yep, I can see it. You can hear it? Yep, I can hear it. You know, what kind of animal, you know? Man, a white wolf. I didn't know why a white wolf, you know? (laughs) A white wolf sitting on the snow with his back to the tree howling at the moon. That's Mm -hmm. what it was. That's what it was for me. He's like, man, that's really powerful. I was like, yeah. He said, "What, what kind of plant do you think of that's, you know, I don't really know. He said, can I give you one? I said, yeah. He said, how about a sequoia? Like, holy smokes, talk about perfect. Man, you can get up in those things and you can see a long way. I just love that. And they're a home for birds or other other animals. And they're strong and they don't bend or break. They bend, but they don't break. And they're just so powerful, these beasts of a tree. And um, so even to this day, when I breathe in, he asked me to do that. When you breathe in, think of these things. Mm -hmm. And when you breathe out, think of gook or think of something that's, that's that's inhospitable in your character, in your heart, in your mind and breathe that out. And so I pretended being in a, in a teepee, you know me, I had a teepee when you were a child and Mm -hmm. I loved my teepee and the smoke always goes out through the, through the top and it can never come back in. So I told him about that. He's like, Oh, that's perfect. Perfect. Breathe that stuff out. And when you breathe in deep, breathe in that the energy, the color, the strength of the electricity from the lightning bolts, the smell of the sequoia, the height that it bears, the, see and hear the white wolf 
Um, and those things that are, that are you, these things are true because they resonate with your spirit. I said, and I'm still doing that shit today. I, I, I'm not kidding you. I mean, that's a, that was a really a big deal for me too. And, and I don't think it has anything to do with me not drinking. That was taken care of with those disgusting thoughts I was getting associated with. What I so, want to package up for everyone of like everything that yeah. you just said is that how long had you struggled with the appeal of alcohol and it had not been healthy for you? Oh, decades. decades. I love scotch. S single malt scotch on, on one bit of ice. And if the ice could come from Scotland or, or uh, Ireland, all the better. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, but now, but that was a, that was creating, you loved it, but loved, loved it. doing it. Yes. But you did not the love smell. having done it. Right. No, the, the after effect or the during effect that it had on family or me mm -hmm. and my thoughts, especially myself afterwards. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. I would drink a half a bottle of scotch at a night easily. Right. And That's so a lot of scotch. Now, when you think about alcohol, it feels still appealing or not? I, I don't think about it because it's so disgusting. I don't, <laughs> That's I what I want to get to. <laughs> I don't think, no, I'm not exaggerating here. Um, like I said, I don't see rapid resolution therapy as a silver bullet, but I'm here to tell you in this particular incident, especially with those really great, um, what do you want to call them? Icons or something? I don't know what the symbols. Them. Symbols. Yeah. Those really great symbols. And I breathe in and breathe out and it's all one keyed up, energetic, beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think about alcohol at all, ever. I don't, it's not even, I mean, until we had this conversation, I hadn't thought about alcohol months. And before, how often did you think about alcohol? Oh yeah. Every other day, something like that. To be, to be honest, every other day, every third day. And like I said, beer, scotch, mm -hmm. um, wine. Mm-hmm. I love now, it all, especially scotch. <laughs> and now, so your, your ability to reminisce that it was a love still exists mm -hmm. and you have an awareness yeah. of mm -hmm. that, but I thought about that after this with, uh, with John, I thought about this, this very thing. I know I could talk myself back into it, but I haven't even thought about it. What's there to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't even thought about it. Mm -hmm. And besides that, when I'm breathing in and breathing out and, and these symbols are so powerful, what's the symbol of alcohol? Mm -hmm. Holy smokes. Mm -hmm. I mean, wow. even if it wasn't disgusting, what's the symbol of alcohol? Yeah. Where's the strength? Where's the power? Where's the authority? Where's the beauty? I can't get strength, power, authority, or beauty out of alcohol, no matter what. Wow. And, I literally, even when I'm, even when I'm reminiscing, I, yeah. I don't get that. Yeah. The masterclass that I just taught mm -hmm. right before this. So I was an hour late to getting on this interview with my dad because I was teaching um, my mantra masterclass and we were talking about words. And we said, what are the words that we're using that are either 
increasing power or decreasing power, increasing energy or decreasing energy, increasing. I didn't use the word authority, but like, do you feel expanded or do you feel um, contracted? Do you feel um, taller or do you feel shorter? Like, where's your power? And it all comes back to, Mm -hmm. is this, is, is there a power here? With mm-hmm. each and every and single I, word. I like the word resonate because resonate, you yeah. know, when you first heard a, a subwoofer that was truly putting out a beautiful sound, not, not not like some teenager trying to make his windows break, but but a subwoofer that truly played the note of that song. Yeah. And that and it vibrated your chest. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Well, that actually is vibrating your lungs and your heart. Mm-hmm. physically vibrating your lungs and your heart. It's mm-hmm. the, the liquid in your body is transferring that resonance through your body. That's how powerful that is. And that's why I love the word resonance mm-hmm. because I can feel some words so, like the uh, lightning or the, the wolf or the sequoia. I can feel those mm-hmm. absolutely powerful. I like the word resonance. Yeah. Yes. I like resonance. Is it resonant or dissonant with you? Which can sometimes convolute decisions and mm. like what it is that we're sure. trying to achieve when we're when we're setting mm-hmm. an intention. Is it good or is it bad? Is mm-hmm. it, you know, whatever. So it just takes away all of that extra meaning that can actually make it harder to decide, that can mm-hmm. create complexities that we don't necessarily need. And it's just like it is or it isn't. <laughs> resonance right. or dissonance. That's it. It is or it isn't. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. it. Well, and so as a man of faith, I'm not real keen on this, but it resonates. And so I can't deny it. Mm-hmm. Um, your phrase, holy motherfuck, yes, this. <laughs> no, I, I'm not exaggerating, Andrea. That is a resonating statement. I mean, if I could think of a way to say it that wasn't quite so obvious to some people, um, then I could say it in church, right? I mean, with my friends, <laughs> but I still say it to those friends outside of church because mm-hmm. the truth is when you put something in that perspective, mm-hmm. there's no gray areas, you know, you want to know why there's... I think you like it hmm. because Holy mother fuck. Yes. This is lightning in your body. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to say, Holy mother fuck. Yes. That. you guys my dad was listening to one of my master classes and i said here's how i decide does it feel like a holy motherfuck yes this or in your body then that's the thing (laughs) do that and he messaged me back and he's like holy motherfuck yes i love it (laughs) and then i made a couple of coffee cups (laughs) yes he made me a custom my dad works with clay and he made me a custom handmade coffee mug which i still haven't received i'm waiting for no i haven't said i have one for lorelei too (laughs) one for lorelei daddy l as the as the community knows her um Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it says on one side it says holy motherfuck yes this and then he called me when he was making the mug not that long ago and he said i have a question i was like Mm -hmm. okay shoot i love your questions he Mm -hmm. said when you say holy motherfuck yes this is that also your knowingness and i was like wow that was good. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That's your knowingness. Yeah. That's your knowingness. When you think of the idea of knowingness, 
the words that come out of my mouth are holy motherfuck yes this yeah you know that's the idea knowing yeah. this but the language it because knowing this is not there's no gray area that's like a lightning bolt yeah that's yeah. you're right that's why i like it there's no it's gray area like a lightning no it's it's and when it strikes bam boom <laughs> done yeah let's go no let's fucking go i love it how powerful is that because now your confidence and your your movement forward is without hesitation or pause Whew. yeah we need more of that true your if... confidence is complete Mm-hmm. How how many times would you like to have that much confidence? Often. <laughs> Often. Yeah. So, I mean, when you think that way, then it's possible, right? If you're not mm-hmm. thinking that way, then it's like, well, what do I do with this? Or what about that? I'm like, I'm looking for holy motherfuck, yes, this. You know, that's what I'm looking that's for. That's what I'm looking or for. Or holy motherfuck, holy motherfuck, not this. <laughs> that's just as powerful to me. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. If you were to talk to somebody who had been through, you know, some of the, the trauma that you've been through, especially in a military career, anybody who's been through, you know, a, a traumatic event that is Mm -hmm. causing them extended Mm. suffering. And maybe that Mm. even suffering is causing suffering, um, you know, for, for family, maybe there's there's an addiction Mm -hmm. and stuff like that in your, in your healing journey. What else would you recommend besides rapid resolution therapy that did help with one of the layers um, around drinking? And yeah. then what else was really useful to you in your journey? Or do you have just any like words of wisdom or, or advice, just like a message of your heart to somebody who would be struggling right now? Well, okay. Again, so my faith, I didn't want to go to residential therapy. The, yeah. the doctor, she said, would you, would it be okay to you if I would recommend you for this? And I said, well, I don't have to go. Right. She said, no, you don't have to go. I just, would it be okay? She asked my permission to refer me for this program. I said, well, if I don't have to go, sure, go ahead. (laughs) I don't care. Um, But I, I gave it an honest thought, you know, I gave it an honest thought and I've been through 12 step programs, both of celebrate recovery which is the Christian version of Alcoholics or Narcotics Anonymous. Um, and, uh, and all of those are useful. None of them are a silver bullet. The piece that makes the most difference for me, has made the most difference for me, was the honesty of myself. Mm. So it wasn't until uh, I got to Helena uh, at the RRTP for, for me to hear some questions that pointed me towards asking me how I felt about something, about something I had done or something I had said. And I never thought about how I felt about. And so this is just one example. What I'm trying to explain here is my, my desire for progress was so complete. I wasn't holding anything back. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and then I was sitting and talking with some of my fellow um, team members. We had, there were six of us in my little group, all of us combat veterans. And uh, some of us had, one of my friends had been literally 
blown up in Iraq, I'm sorry, in Afghanistan, eight times he had been blown up by uh, IEDs. Mm. Um, another one of my friends, he led, uh, he was a ranger, led some, some men in combat south of our border, and uh, he lost all of them. I mean, you know, there's, it doesn't matter whether you were physically assaulted yourself, abused, um, you, you did something to other people. It, all of this stuff, it has one element to me, and that is, are you willing to be honest with yourself? Mm. And how committed are you to getting there? I'll tell you the truth. I wasn't ready to... Um, the 20 years that I made myself suffer, the reason I, I mean, I figured this out during RRTP. The reason that I made myself suffer is because nobody else would. Nobody else believed that what had happened to me was wrong or bad, or, you know, it's just an act of war. It's just a, a, something you had to do. You're not responsible. You did the right. Everybody wants you to feel better, but nobody wants you to feel the truth. And so I had to want to feel the truth first, and then I had to be committed to some version of progress. Mm -hmm. And once I got those two things solid, like a foundational cornerstone or something like that, once I got that, those two things, the rest of it, it was still super hard. I, I wound up, I actually wound up, sobbing in front of my six teammates and nobody else was having a problem. We were watching this video. It was about an, an experiment that a, a psychologist was doing about people in a prison and people who are uh, people who are prisoners and people who are prison wardens or caretakers or whatever. And, uh, and so I was so angry at the man who created this test or this experiment because I associated what he had done with what I had done. And man, I, I kid you not, Andrea, I was weeping all day. People couldn't talk to me. My psychologist said to me, Jeffrey, just lift your hand if you can even hear me. And I could hear him. And so, but it was, it was that bad, but I was so willing to go those distances, to get to those things, to face them with my brothers around me. I didn't do it alone. And, and I was there for them too, but I mean, they would sit with me or they would talk to me or, you know, and, but yeah, you had to be willing to face the truth and you had to be willing to go the distance. That's is, that's is, it, it's, and for everybody, it's going to be your own thing, whatever that is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So that's the only two things I can really think of. Well, the part that you said about like, nobody else would make me suffer. So I had to, yeah, Yeah. such an interesting perspective that I've never Mm -hmm. considered. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like you guys know that my, my ex-husband is retired military and, and, and suffering and actively suffering. And Mm -hmm. I've never thought about it that way you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of like, I can't, and I understand, like, I know that I can't comprehend because like my mind isn't processing the way that his mind is processing, but I haven't been able to understand. I haven't even been able to get there to try to find a way 
to hear how his mind could be processing it until just now. Mm -hmm. This specific item that we're talking about right now was the one comment I left with the staff because we went out and and had a little graduation ceremony with the the Indian. uh, I really resonate with the American Indian and and all of those things. And we had the peace pipe go around or the, the talking pipe is what it was. And we would we would have the floor to talk. And I, it was the one thing I left. I said, how can you possibly spend this much time and money? I had a psychiatrist at my beck and call, a psychologist. I had a uh, activities therapist. I had two peer specialists. I had multiple community resources. I went and talked I went and uh, participated with horses and I wound up standing there. Hopefully none of my teammates could see me crying because I believed that this horse could accept me and other people couldn't. Mm. And these things are all of this work for me. Right. And I go home and there's no follow up. There's nothing for the wife. There's no, she has no idea. She didn't see all of this stuff when I went and she didn't see all this stuff when I came back. All she knows is my husband is broken and I want the old one back, <laughs> you know, or, or her life got so miserable. She's like, how can I get the hell out of here? And look, I get it. I'm, I'm, you're not going to find me making excuses for anybody. Mm-hmm. But I was so angry sitting there with my friends and my um uh, the psychologists and because each man had his own psychologist and I couldn't believe that there was nothing for the family, nothing, yeah. yep. no follow-up. None. Like you, you, you send me back into that environment where my family, all they knows is what I've been doing for the last 20 years. Fortunately, I guess fortunate, not fortunate, man. I don't even know what to say to that. Robin kicked me out a year ago, so I haven't, haven't had uh, any family to go home to except my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, my friends, my one friend, Casey, God, I love that man so much. Um, his wife, such a beautiful woman and kind. Um, and his three children, oh my God, they're just, when you look at a definition in encyclopedia of a, you know, American family, this is what you expect to see at home. You know, it really is. And, um, all they've known is the horror that's come out of their father in these last, for him, it was 15 years or something like that. And they don't know what to think of him now. Yeah. And I understand because they're waiting for the next hammer to fall. That's what's happening in his home. Yeah. My heart and my mind is, is for the, the things that I can, grapple with and that's trauma in the combat environment and i can grapple with that yeah. but i don't know what to do about families and they, they didn't send me home with what to do with my family <laughs> you know right. yeah they don't have any follow-up for the family there's this yeah. great big gap and that's what i'm trying to get across to you yeah so. every everything that i found i found myself there was there was right. no like hey you know here's what you might I mean, because the military, you know, what's interesting is I actually we found recently there was a an article written on um, 
I can't remember which military website that it was on about rapid resolution therapy and the usefulness of PTSD and mentioning Mm -hmm. Dr. John Connolly. Um, The fact that RRT is not approved um, under insurance is just like one of the biggest tragedies. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. One of the biggest. It it certainly ought to be a tool in the toolbox. Correct. They're using the other. What's that other one now where they use electrical EMDR? EMDR. Yeah. That's a, um, that's I a positive step, step in the right direction for sure. Um, yeah, just yeah. rapid resolution therapy is just more efficient, you know? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah. a lot of the things, but the first thing that they sent Jeremy to is talk therapy and it, and it made mm. it so much worse, mm. so much worse. He would, he would go, you know, for a 60 minute session, he would start opening up about a trauma. It was like pulling someone's stitches from a fresh surgery that happened yesterday yeah. and then yeah. sending them back out before you could stitch them up. Right. No. Mm-mm. And so he's no. just walking around with this filleted wound Yeah. and he couldn't yeah. integrate back into the family. He would mm-hmm. lock himself, you know, into a room and like it was just the talk mm-hmm. therapy is such when you have extreme trauma, it is it is re-traumatizing and that was no the it first has to be a residence step. type of uh yeah type of a deal no it, right. you, there i don't know who did that but i would find that as malpractice personally. yes i would too i not I because i'm an expert but because of my experience yes absolutely yeah it was it was horrible and awful to watch and um my heart aches for like the the suffering that it caused for him and for anybody else mm-hmm. um so yeah, yeah, EMDR, rapid resolution therapy, ART, which is accelerated resolution therapy. Um, just in my personal experience, the reason that I like seeing the praises of RRT the most is ef- efficiency, efficacy, as well as I bet it was kind of like interesting and fun and playful sometimes when you were doing this healing versus a lot of maybe like crying and um Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was far more positive until we got into those questions that were disgusting. Uh, I realized I had to get to that point, but um, that was not there was nothing. um, Mm -hmm. But the rest of it was was really positive, you know, because you're really what he said was and I and this is what you and I've talked about a 100 times and I'm going to talk about it a 100 more is that you're making progress with the unconscious mind. Right. Not the conscious mind. Right. The conscious mind helps you get into trouble, but the unconscious mind leads you into trouble. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can if you can shortcut the unconscious leading you into trouble, I can understand why RT is uh, is so much more efficient, you know, because you're not going to that place to begin with. And what I found with with John is that I had something to fill it up with. Scripture talks about uh, when you clean out your house, uh, the, 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 the demons will go away. But if you don't fill it up with something, come they're going to come back and bring six more with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, John gives you that extra something else to go home with that is really powerful. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, rapidresolutiontherapy.com, Dr. John Connolly, if you want to work directly with the founder and you do know someone struggling with, especially around um, addiction, John has Mm -hmm. a tremendous gift. Almost any of the therapists on his website can be incredibly 
efficient and effective with um, PTSD and um, clearing um, painful emotions around past events. Um, in fact, that is something that historically is done in a session, maybe two, which is amazing after watching, you know, someone that I love go into these 60 minute talk there and it, talk therapy has its place. It's just not for extreme trauma like this. Um, well, so. and it's not in short increments, <laughs> right? Right. You don't Absolutely. turn the patient back loose on society with this gaping hole in his side. Right. Yeah. Good and grief. that's, that was our personal experience and a very unfortunate, um, con- yeah. yeah. I was, there were days where I was very scared. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. That's hard for family. So, and then of course, if you're a family members, like you likely have PTSD from somebody else's PTSD, if you've been a caretaker for a long time. And that, that took me a long time to accept that I Mm -hmm. um, had my own PTSD to heal from, but I'm grateful for the journey and for the power I've gotten back and for the power and wisdom that I've gotten from all of it as well. So would you say that when you learned that you too had PTSD that you had to become willing to um, experience that and then have the commitment to uh, overcoming or finding the healing? Did you, you see what I'm trying to get to with? I understand the question. And I think like one of the gifts that I think that I was given just in terms of being a human being that that I feel like I was always born with was Mm. for me to like, want to find a solution for pain and be willing to do it. Like, like for me to want to be preventative with my health, like I've just like Mm -hmm. taking vitamins and eating well, like that's something that really comes naturally to me. So I Mm. didn't feel that that felt true for me. The second that I felt pain, I was looking for a solution to alleviate Mm -hmm. it. Now, having said that, the circumstances Mm -hmm. are so different because I didn't take an action that caused my PTSD. Actions were taken that caused my PTSD. So I could understand how you would have a very different healing experience that required different stops for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we identified that. That's really great. Yeah. And I'm glad that, you know, it gives me actually a little bit of hope hearing that story with you and seeing that you have overcome so much and mm. you were finally willing to get yourself help because yeah. I, I want to feel that hope with, you know, other people that I see yeah. suffering. And sometimes when you see someone, it feels, it can be really easy and tempting to tell the story that they're choosing it. Mm. I don't don't, think that is a conscious choice. (laughs) No, no. I never once said to myself, you know, let me beat myself up for a while. I never even said to myself, nobody will punish me. So I will punish me. Mm -hmm. That's just what I did. Right. And it's not until I was willing to look at myself and say, I am evil. Wasn't until I was willing to hear those words. And then my psychologist, they do their their work. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, he did a great work. But I was willing mm-hmm. and committed. So mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Woo, we covered a lot today. <laughs> yeah, we did. Good conversation. I'm really glad to have the opportunity. Thank you. You're welcome. You guys. We should have like a coffee chat with dad once in a while. (laughs) We need to do like a group zoom because 
this is kind of what I, you know, whenever this is literally what we talk about, <laughs> yeah, we're we like, do. let's, let's solve the problems of the universe, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> or talk about quantum physics or whatever. We're yeah. nerds. Oh yeah. I love it. I'm grateful. Yeah. Um, yeah. but thanks dad. This was yeah. so beautiful of you to be willing to be, um, vulnerable and share. And, um, I know that it's going to help a lot of people. So I love you. I appreciate well, I've got you. A lot of confidence. Like so, just yeah. Yeah. good. I, I think, and then yeah. also just like, as your daughter, I'm grateful that you made amazing yeah. choices yeah. to start pulling yourself out. Glad to have mm-hmm. you back. Glad to have you. I'm back. glad to be back. <laughs> love you. Okay, you guys, links for dad's knife stuff below. (laughs) Check it out. Hi, this is Lorelai, COO of The Unruly Entrepreneur. If you want a mini taste of rapid resolution therapy, I highly recommend Andrea's top program, Regulate, a course that is swiftly changing lives like one listener who said, Regulate is like the best damn anti-anxiety non-med fix available. Everyone needs to have this. Thank you for creating something so healing. And another who said, I woke up to the biggest weekly paycheck I've seen in over a year. And I was like, wait, that felt easy and seamless. What was different? And immediately I was like, yep, it was Regulate. A hundred percent it was. Head to the show notes to learn more about this life-changing and laid-back program that fills our inbox with stories of relaxed nervous systems. And because you're still listening, we have a top secret 15% off code reserved only for our most unruly listeners. Just add the code SECRET at checkout to claim your discount. Thanks for listening, friend. We're so glad you're here.